Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 5th, 2024. It is currently 4.32 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And where my studio is located, it, it has to be about five minutes from here. It has to be about five minutes from here. Now, it takes a little longer. It takes about five minutes to get there. So I guess technically it's probably not even a true five minutes away, but to get there takes about five minutes because you have to come out of the residential area, take a left, go through two traffic lights, take another left. You're kind of on this access road getting ready to get on the freeway, but you just stay on the access road until you make it down to the stop sign, take a left, go underneath the freeway, and then right there on the corner is a Burger King, then it's connected to a gas station slash convenience store, right? It's like a Burger King gas station slash convenience store, and it's all right there together. Well, I could show you photographs of it right now. The Burger King is gone. The gas station the convenience store, completely burnt to the ground. There is literally nothing left of either. I, I, I think I'll, I'll try to post the photographs of it, maybe at theologycentral.net, the blog. I'll, I'll post it in the blog section, theologycentral.net, uh, the blog section. It's uh, the, the photographs come from a drone and you'll have to see it's just like literally burnt to the ground. It's insane. Uh, it, it, was, it was crazy. I think it happened around three or four in the morning. It was, it's just absolutely crazy, but that's what's going on around me. And it's very warm here in the studio. And in the midst of all of this confusion and chaos, there's a little bit of confusion and chaos really inside this studio because I'm still trying to figure out 2024. I'm still trying to, I know it's January the 5th. So you were like, you know, Hey, get your act together. You're five days into a new year. What is taking you so long? What, what's your problem? Well, I'm trying to figure out the best way to move forward with our 2024 Sermons 2.0 app sermon challenge, right? Now, on one hand, I've done my job. I've told everyone, download the app. I've told everyone how to carry out the, the challenge each day, wake up, grab the app, listen to a sermon at random. I gave you suggestions on how to choose a random sermon, told everyone to buy a notebook, write the sermon down, the name of the broadcast, the date, the scripture. After you listen, write about a summary statement about it. If you take notes, put those notes in the same notebook, number the pages. And then when you write out, you know, where the sermon is, you can put uh, the page number so you know where your sermon notes are. I, I gave everyone all of those instructions. So in some ways I could just wash my hand and go, okay, I gave everyone the challenge. Now we're just going to move on and do other things and not really mention it. But we all know if I do that, okay, let's be honest, but it's January the 5th, it would have already been forgotten. People would have already said, oh, whatever. Like a, a, a few people may have said, okay, I'm going to do that, but then it would be forgotten. So I feel like I have to keep talking about it on a regular and consistent basis. So then it kind of developed into a series, which it was never really intended to do. But in some ways, if we stick with the series, by the end of 2024, your notebook hopefully would be filled with a list of a sermon for every single day. But then we would have almost an audio journal, a record 
of everything we talked about and or at least what I was talking about and what I was seeing and my random sermons. Right. And then and of course, we've also kind of created this like special theme days. Right. Hey, the name of Jesus became a theme day for the Sermons 2.0 app challenge. Today, it's all about plead the blood. It became, so we also have developed these theme days. So there's a lot of interesting things we can do with it. It just, it could dominate the entire year. And we've also seen that I can pick a random sermon, literally come to the microphone and play a five, 10 minute section of that random sermon that I listened to. And then that could literally turn into three, four, five, six hours of broadcasting because of 10 minutes of audio, which demonstrates how much you can get out of a sermon. If you're really willing to try, if you're really will, if, if you're really willing to put forth the effort, every sermon can be utilized for great spiritual benefit. If you're putting forth the effort. So I don't, I just, I still don't know how to manage it because if you're supposed to be listening to a random sermon, then you listen to me. And then if I tell you to go listen to something else or, or give you an assignment, you see that there becomes, obviously there's a point where you're just like, I can't do all of that. I can't keep up with everything. And I completely agree. But then if I just say, all right, guys, you've got your random sermon. Like, you know, do I do this? All right, guys, um, we started 2024. I gave you a challenge. It's called the Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge. Each day you get up, you listen to a random sermon, you possibly take notes, you write a summary statement. All right, I'll be back in 2025 and we'll talk about how it went, right? Uh, I'm not going to broadcast at all because I don't want to add something to your list of things to do. Like I didn't think that through. Like on one hand, I knew I was literally leading people to other content, not my content. And I felt kind of good. I felt good about that, right? These other broadcasters need to be heard. These other broadcasters need to download and streams. Well, this Sermons 2.0 app is this great resource. It doesn't need to be ignored. All right, so I'm getting people to use the resource. I'm getting people to listen to other broadcasters. They're going to hear different voices, different opinions, different theological perspectives. I did a good thing. But then you kind of like, well, wait a minute. If I'm sending them to do that, they may not have time to listen to me. So then I'm like... I don't know if that was a smart idea. So then I come along and then say, okay, I'm going to take this idea. And then I'm like, I'm going to create six hours of content just off this one idea. Well, we still got a million other things that we're working on, right? We've got the lectionary that we're working on, right? We, we've got, so I, how do I balance it? I still do not know. I still do not know. I have no idea. Um, I, if, if you have some magical... If you have some great ideas, let me know, uh, but I'm still trying to figure it out. But at the same time, if I'm being, now, if I'm being selfish here, if I'm, if I'm being, you know, honest here, I think for me personally, it is of, it's to my spiritual advantage it motivates me. It keeps me involved in the challenge by coming to the microphone, talking about whatever I heard. Like, what, like, hey, this is the sermon I chose today. This is what, and talking about it, 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 to me, it helps me. Now, that's a selfish reason. That's a selfish reason. Hey, guys, you're going to listen to me, but I'm really doing this for my own selfish benefit. But there, I'm, I'm going to be honest with that. So I'm still trying to figure all of that out. I don't know if I'm going to come up with a good solution. I don't know. It's going to be a lot of just moving forward and seeing what happens. That, I think that's how I'm going to 
I think that's how I'm going to proceed. I, 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 hope, I hope that works. I hope that works. All right, I'm writing something down that I can remember later. But we will see. And if you have any ideas, as, as always, email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Typically, the emails go, there'll be some going, way too much. You need to eliminate this. You need to eliminate this. You need to eliminate this. It's way too much. Nobody can keep up, which I completely appreciate and understand. Others will be like, just keep going. Keep, come on. I want more content. So then you're like, okay, well, I can't necessarily do that. So then you have to try to pick something in the middle and, well, it, it doesn't always work out. Or sometimes you just come to the realization yourself that you, you're trying more than you can possibly do. But we will see. We will see. We will see. But are you ready? All right, today. Or actually yesterday. We listened to, or well, for me, the random sermon that I picked for yesterday was, if you remember, it was, uh, no, there was, I would say, what did I listen to yesterday? Hang on, I can't keep up, I can't keep up with all the ones I've listened to. Was it, uh, let's see, oh yeah, Adonijah, Adonijah, Calvary Baptist Church, right? Adonijah, okay, I almost forgot, I forgot that one. In fact, I don't know if I even written that, I don't think I've written that one down. I told you I needed to work on my notebook. Okay, I need to work on that, all right? I, I, I was like, wait a minute, I did not write that one down. But I have it here in my uh, library on the Sermons 2.0 app. So we listened to Adonijah. Now that one, that sermon gave us a lot of things to consider, and we still didn't even get to half of them. There's a lot of interesting things about Satan there, how Adonijah, should you call him Adoniah, all of that kind of discussion, we talked about that. But remember in that sermon I played for you, they gave, the, the pastor gave a prayer right before he really got back into the sermon. And at the end of that prayer, he said something along these lines, I plead the blood of Jesus over this service or something to that effect. And immediately, I, I remember my reaction was like, whoa, okay, well, we've, we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to come back to that because that's problematic to me. So then I talked a little bit about this yesterday. We talked a little bit about pleading the blood. And I made today the day that all of your random sermons were supposed to be on pleading the blood. That's what you were supposed to be doing today, typing in pleading the blood and choosing a random sermon from that. I haven't heard from a lot of people. Hopefully everyone has done that today. Please do that somewhere before midnight uh, because I, I want you to hear other perspectives. Now, when I, when I first came up with the idea, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought, okay, I will do a quick search on the Sermons 2.0 app for pleading the blood or plead the blood. And I'm going to get all of these sermons. They're going to talk about why you shouldn't do it, how it's not a biblical concept, how this is a charismatic concept. And, and then to my shock, somewhat dismay, somewhat confusing to me, there are sermons on the Sermons 2.0 app that seems to be supporting said practice or supporting the phrase. And I'm like, that is crazy to me because in my mind, the entire concept comes straight from the world of charismatic theology. It comes from that stream. It's an infection from charismatic theology that has somehow infiltrated the non-charismatic world. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy because 
you know, one of the things you have to do to, to broadcast on the Sermons 2.0 app is sign an agreement to their confession of faith, which is they are opposed to charismatic theology. I'm like, well, this is straight from it. It's straight. It's a part of it. How do people not see this? So we talked about it I, and I chose a random sermon this morning. So we're going to listen to a little bit of it. And then I'm just going to read from two articles. Both One article is very pro plead the blood. And it comes from someone clearly in the charismatic world, someone very much connected with the word of faith. And then I'm going to read an article that is someone who's a, a pastor in the Assemblies of God denomination. And they argue against the concept, which is which is bizarre to me. But the b- bottom line is, even I guess, even within the charismatic world, there's some disagreement on this. So we're going to, we're going to look at it. We're going to consider it. I, I just, anyone who's not a part of the charismatic world, I don't know why you would want to touch this phrase with a, with a 50 foot pole, a hundred foot pole. I don't know why you would want to get anywhere near it. I, I just don't get it. The phrase clearly is not biblical. So why, why would we use, I don't know. And even the concept, I, I don't even understand. So here's what happened this morning. I typed in plead the blood and the first message I pulled up, the first one I pulled up, let me grab my iPad here, unplug it, uh, is plead the blood underneath that prayer. So I guess this is a part of a series on prayer. Um, it's from Bible Believers Baptist Church. Bible Believers Baptist Church. Now, this is one of those broadcasters who obviously doesn't have any problems finding plenty of people to download their content because this message has 917 downloads and streams. They're not messing around, okay? This is dated Sunday, June the 7th, 2015. It's 41 minutes long. Again, plead the blood, Dr. David Peacock, Bible Believers Baptist Church. All right. So please, you know what to do. Find it. Download it. Now, see, this is the problem where I, if I'm telling you to go listen to something else, I know you're like, I've already listened to a random one. Now I'm listening to you. I understand. But I say download it so that you could possibly listen to it or at least skim it at some point, uh, you, because we're not going to review the whole thing, because if I try to review uh, the random sermons that I listen to, those reviews would be four and five hours of broadcasting alone. So I, I am trying to manage that a little bit better. But I do always want you to go finish what I start here. And I'm not going to play a lot of this. I just want you to hear how the very first sermon that I picked today, at random, under the subject, plead the blood, how they started. And to me, you can, now you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. To me, they start with almost an assumption, their, their presuppositional approach is pleading the blood is just an obvious thing that we do. It's just like, it's just assumed that this is a biblical correct concept. It's not even questioned, at least at the beginning. Now, maybe a little further in, I stopped it and, and because obviously I was going to review some of it, but maybe somewhere further on it is. But at the beginning, it just starts off very like, hey, have you heard the phrase? All right, here we go. And then they just start referencing scriptures. Now, of course, any of the scriptures they reference doesn't even use the phrase, but it's so, it's so weird to me. It's just like it's assumed. So I don't know in the, in this sermon, maybe later on they stop to consider the history 
consider its connection to word of faith and charismatic, the charismatic world, trying to not use a, a, a negative, uh, word for the charismatic world, right? Because we could, you know, charismania, we we could refer to it in other ways. I try not to do that, you know, but charismatic theology, try to try to at least say it in a correct way, right? I mean, I look, my own personal feelings for that theology I have no respect for it at all. None, zero. But in broadcasting, I try my best to to talk about it as calmly as I can. I try sometimes. Get me away from the microphone. I'm not so nice about the theology system, but I digress. You would think, because of its connection to it, you would at least address history, origin, abuse, because obviously these are churches that are not part of the charismatic world. So you think that they would at least say, hey, in the charismatic world, they use this idea this way. We reject that way. We use it this way. And then try to make an argument that there's a right and wrong way to use. I don't know. Let's just listen to a little bit of this. And then we're going to get into these articles that I have. Again, two, both come from the charismatic world. Both come from the charismatic world. And I'm going to have a Bible. If you have a notebook, you may want to have that ready to go. And uh, we'll see what we can find out because today is all about pleading the blood. Is this a biblical concept? Is it not a biblical concept? What's the history and origins of it? And we're also, obviously, this is all due to the Sermons 2.0 app sermon challenge where yesterday, a sermon on Adonijah, just a passing phrase about pleading the blood. And the next thing you know, We've dedicated 24 hours to this subject. So let's jump in. Let's see where we can go. Hopefully this will be somewhat beneficial. Look in Hebrews chapter number 9. And um, how many of you have heard the statement, uh, plead the blood? You heard that statement before? What does it mean to plead the blood? It's not. Now please note, did you hear the amens? The amens in the background clearly indicates the people there are familiar with the phrase. (laughs) So, uh, why, why, why? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Now he says Hebrews. I'm going to start it over where you can hear all that again. But we're immediately on our way to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter nine. All right. Let's see if what, where this is going to go. Look in Hebrews chapter number nine. And um, how many of you have heard the statement, uh, plead the blood? You heard that statement before? What does it mean to plead the blood? It's not just to pray for it for a covering for your sins. That is something you should do. First John uh, 1 John 1.7 teaches you clearly that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Okay, it's not just praying it for a covering for your sins. Now, this is where I get a little baffled and confused. If I'm saved, I don't have to pray for the covering of my sin. It's already covered in Christ Jesus. My sins have already been forgiven. Now, I may confess my sin and remember that my sins have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ in order to maintain right fellowship. But I mean, like, do I need to say, okay, oh, Lord, Lord, I need to pray and plead the blood to cover my sins. My sins are already covered. They're covered eternally, right? So do I have to pray for, I still, any of the discussions I hear about this, I'm just, I just go, I don't understand. I don't understand what we're talking about. Like, it's almost like you're borrowing something that requires language 
that I don't think is consistent with just a biblical understanding of some of these concepts. Like, we're not talking about just pleading the blood for the forgiveness of sins. I have to plead the blood for the forgiveness of sins. My sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. My sins have been removed as far as the East is from the West. They're gone. They're done. They're forgotten. Now, any, any sin that I commit on a daily basis, I'm just confessing that to show God that I still I agree with him to maintain a proper fellowship. But I, so I, I don't know. So I'm going to back this up one more time. And... We'll, we'll let this play out again. Like the, the problem with this, I think I could stop this like about every half a second, but let, let's let this play out again. Look in Hebrews chapter number nine. And um, how many of you have heard the statement, uh, plead the blood? You heard that statement before? What does it mean to plead the blood? It's not just to pray for it for a covering for your sins. That is something you should do. 1 John 1, 7 teaches you clearly that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Let's make it very clear. We all agree that the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. We agree. What does that have to do with pleading the blood? All right, let's continue. And he tells you in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. But... Pleading the blood, especially in difficult times or when you have times of great temptation or problems that are coming on, being able to plead the blood. For instance, uh, leave your finger stuck there in Hebrews 9 and come to 2 Corinthians 10 first is where I was intending to start. 2 Corinthians 10. Now, this is a real important uh, principle for you to understand. The majority of our problem is not in what we call the flesh, but the engine of the flesh. Okay. So he's talking, he's not talking about pleading the blood in regards to forgiveness of sins. He's talking about when you face a difficulty, you plead the blood. All right. So I'm facing a difficulty. All right. I, okay. I, well, I'll, I'll just, I, I don't know exactly what kind of difficulties he has in mind, but let's just say, okay, uh, let's try this. All right. I have a neurological problem and a, uh, I have a, Seizure disorder, neurological issues, all related to what happened to me. I was in the military. There are times that those present themselves in very powerful ways, which makes things very, 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 very difficult. So if I'm facing a day where my neurological issues, seizure, seizure issues are, at a, are just like, say, just way up there causing lots of problems. If I say, I plead the blood of Jesus over this, does that make it go away? Does that lessen the neurological problems? Is that going to make the seizure order, the seizure disorder go away? Am I going to be healed because I plead the blood? Is that, is, that sounds like a charismatic idea. If I have, let's say I'm having grave economic issues, like say I'm not being able to make my house payment. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? If I plead the blood, will money show up on my, in the mailbox? Will I get an email notification that someone donated to our ministry, you know, $5,000 and they're like, you can use it for anything you need. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to use it for my house payment for the next, you know, five months. Like, like, plead the, plead the blood. If I'm facing strong temptation, I'm like, I plead the blood. Does the temptation go away? Now, he's, he just said, our issue really isn't the flesh. It's the engine of the flesh. Well, what's the engine of the flesh? So if I have this engine, 
It's not my flesh that's the problem. It's the engine that drives the flesh. If I plead the blood, does it disconnect the engine? Does it make the engine stop running? Like, I don't understand this entire thing. Let's see if we get some kind of greater explanation because I do want to understand. Look, look, if I'm, if I am wrong about pleading the blood, I definitely want to know. I'm just perplexed that non-charismatic churches even talk about it because it, Look, I, I believe this goes straight back to the Azusa Street Revival. I believe this is straight right there in the charismatic world. All right, but let, let's see, see what they have to say. What drives the flesh? Hey, Brother Brian, it's good to see you. Glad you're here today. The, the, the engine that drives the thought process, you are what you think. Your flesh, without an engine in it, it's, it's like, a, a, I don't care if you put a Corvette out here or a Bentley or a, a Mercedes or whatever car you think is the greatest car in the world, Chevrolet or a Ford, about had a, 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 a massive uprising up there, got one side of the church in that church in West Virginia that thinks Ford is the greatest and another side that thinks Chevrolet is the greatest. And so I mentioned something about, I know, you know, you got this Ford, and man, I mean, I, I finally got a bunch of amens, you know. <laughs> and then I said something, and the other side was ready to have, you know, Ward, and I said, or Chevrolet, and then I got, you know, the other thing going. And so whatever car you think is the greatest car in the world, if you set it out here and it has no engine in it, the body in and of itself doesn't do you anything except something for you to look at. But it has no ability to go anywhere, it has no ability to do anything, and the body is worthless. Okay, so I'm trying to follow the illustration. So the body doesn't do anything without an engine. So if we can figure out the engine that drives our flesh, if we deal with the engine, then I'm assuming then then we will never sin again. I, I don't know, right? So it, it seems like he was inferring that the engine to the flesh is the mind, so how we think is what drives the flesh. So if we can change our thinking, then we can then drive the flesh. So if I think correctly, my flesh will go correctly, seemingly being the implication, the thing. And I guess pleading the blood comes in here that somehow fixes all of this. I don't really know yet where pleading the blood fits in. I'm still just trying to follow this. So he says what's driving is the mind. Is driving the flesh. Now, is he referring to the flesh as the sinful nature? Or is he separating flesh from sinful nature? Or is the flesh and the sinful nature the same? But the mind is separate from the sinful nature. But doesn't the sinful nature impact the mind and every aspect of our being, our emotions, feelings, thinking? Or is he saying that the mind is separate from the the the, the flesh? Or is... Uh, and, Ah, uh, remember I've told you so many times when I listen to Christians preach, especially when it comes to the makeup of the, of the, of human beings saved or lost. And wait, do we have one nature? Do we have two natures? Do we have one heart? Do we have two heart? Do we have one mind? Do we have two minds? Like we need, we, this is, I make fun of charts. We need a chart to, to figure it out because every sermon I hear, I'm like, okay, so, so I've got the body. All right. Now I'm assuming that's the flesh, but now I've got the engine. Now he seems to imply that the engine is the mind. So then is the mind separate from the sinful nature? Let's see where it goes. You have to understand your body in and of itself is inanimate. 
It's what your mind tells it to do that creates the issue. All right, so the body, I think he's saying inanimate, I think is what he was referencing. The body is inanimate, and it will only do what the mind tells it to do. So if I can get my mind to tell my body to only do that which is right, holy, and godly, but even if my mind got my body to do the right thing, would the mind then take over the sinful nature and therefore the sinful nature would not have sinful thoughts and desires? So can the mind control the internal and the external or does the mind only control the external? Or does the mind have to be in agreement with the sinful nature? Or is the sinful nature in line with the, the mind? I, I'm trying to map it out, but let's see if he can explain this so that we better understand. So we have the body, we have the mind. The mind controls the body. If the mind is right, the body will do right. Okay. And it has to be a constant process for those of us that are Christians. You never overcome that until you're dead. Now, one... Okay, so now, now we're given the, the... So we never overcome it. So, even if, so we, that means we'll never get our mind fully right. We'll never get it fully right. So therefore, we're always going to have a conflict between mind and body. Even though if we can get the mind right, we can control the body, we're never going to be in agreement. Our body and our mind are going to be in conflict. The two are never going to be in agreement. All right, so, but is the mind ever, it's almost, is the mind, is he referring to the mind as the spiritual nature? Because he's seemingly, seemingly to imply that the mind, or, or is he saying we're never going to get the mind right? Maybe that's what he's saying. We're never going to get the mind right. Therefore, we'll never get our body right. In other words, since our mind is never right, then the engine is always wrong. Therefore, the body is always going to go in the wrong direction. But we need to try to get our mind right, even though we never will. Okay, maybe that's what he's saying. All right, let's continue. Once you get the mind of Christ, man, thank God for that. But until you do, you can never uh, ever think for a second that all your thoughts are always going to be pure. I do good when I'm... Okay, when you get the mind of Christ, good. But he seemingly do imply we don't get the mind of Christ until, I guess, glorification. In the meantime... All we can do is try and we're going to have problems. And now he's saying the only time he can about get it right, I think he's going to say when he sleeps. Here we go. I'm sleeping. But the rest of the day is suspect at any given moment. And you could be having a great day and everything's going good and you're listening to the right kind of stuff and doing the right kind of stuff. And something can happen and just like that you get reminded right quick that guy's right there. He's right there with you the whole time. Now, when you got saved, your, your body didn't get saved, and that old person that's in there is uh, got to be renewed. Now, look at what he says in verse number 4, 10 4. All right, so when you got saved, the body didn't get saved, and the old nature is still there. So he's seemingly saying the old nature is there. The old nature is there. Now, is the old nature of the mind? I, I'm still trying to map it out, right? So the old nature is wrong. And I'm assuming what he's trying to say is therefore that drives the body. So I'm assuming he's just, he's stating that the mind and the old nature are the same. 
And we have to try to renew the nature and renew the mind because, well, that's driving everything. And so we're in a constant battle to try to renew and get this right so that the body will be right. Okay, so he's acknowledging the never-ending conflict here. All right, trying to identify the exact which part he's referencing. Well, it gets confusing in any Christian preaching because sometimes it's, I'm like, oh, so is the mind and the nature the same? Is the mind is not the same? Okay, but let's see where he takes this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Father, we'd ask that you might help us this morning and that you might uh, encourage us and strengthen us to teach us how to pray when these matters come along. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what's, I have to kind of point this out. So he just read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 4, if you did not get the scriptural reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I know I was interrupting it. I do find it interesting. In a sermon about Adonijah, the prayer includes, I plead the blood over this service. In a sermon about pleading the blood, there is no pleading of the blood for the service. <laughs> I find that uh, so in a sermon that has nothing to do with pleading the blood, pleading the blood occurs in the prayer. On a sermon about pleading the blood, it's not even used in the actual prayer. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I, you got to find that. I, I, am I the only one who finds that interesting? All right, maybe so. All right, here we go. All right, come back to Hebrews chapter number nine. Hebrews chapter number nine. The blood is what will help you with these issues. All right, so we, we, we just read 2 Corinthians 10. Didn't really do much. I guess there, because taking every thought captive, he's saying if you take the thought captive, then the mind, if it takes the thoughts captive and then handles those thoughts correctly, then the body will follow. I guess that's what he's saying. But now he's going to Hebrews 9, and now we're going to go to Hebrews 9, and now Hebrews 9 is going to be the answer. The answer is the blood is what will help us with these issues. Now, does the blood help us with these issues in what way? And does it only work if I plead the blood? Right? And what does that mean? And what does it actually do? Let's find out what supposedly this all does. Let's see how far we can get in this. He says in Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Watch it. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. That's strange for me, but that's fine, but it's strange for me. I'm seeing y'all sitting over here now. You, I'm... Okay, now, all right, now, I I thought we were going to Hebrews 9. Then we took a detour back to Romans 12. Then in the middle of Romans 12, he stops to say that's weird to me and he's pointing out that someone's not sitting in their normal place so all of a sudden now we're talking about (laughs) okay i'm still trying to figure all of this out and now he's he's been distracted by the fact someone's not sitting in their normal place in church okay so let's let him get that away he'll he'll mention romans 12 maybe we'll get to hebrews 9 and maybe we'll figure we'll we're going to at least try to establish his basic thesis his hypotheses then I can, because I'm going to run out of time, I still want to pursue these other articles on this entire subject, but I want to make sure we can clearly say here was his thesis 
in this sermon. Let's see if we can identify it. Yeah, right now, I still don't know if I can identify it. I'm talking to you, Brother Hakov. You know exactly. Don't sit there and look like, well, who's he talking to? <laughs> um, okay, but be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may know that which is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. All right, so is it the renewing of the mind that equals pleading the blood? Or does pleading the blood renew the mind? Because it seems what he's, he's, the whole thesis that he has set up right now, the basic thesis he has given us right now, is that the body is, is, is inanimate, it's useless. It's the engine, and the engine seems to be the mind. So we need to take every thought captive and we need to renew the mind. But it seems the way, I think what he's going to put forth as a solution to taking every thought captive and renewing it is the pleading of the blood. So if I plead the blood, then is my mind automatically renewed? But he's already acknowledged that it's never going to be perfectly renewed. So does that mean the pleading of the blood only helps 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%? I still don't, I know, I, I, I think I know the thesis, but I'm trying to figure out now where the pleading of the blood comes into play. Let's let this play out and see if we can establish the basic thesis. Now, for those of you that are visiting, just so you know, that's not three wills of God. That's two wills of God, and good things are not always the right things. You can do a lot of good things. No, it says, it says, good, yeah, it says good, then it says acceptable, then it says perfect. So some things are good, but they're not acceptable to God. You can do a lot of good things, but God didn't tell you to do them. God doesn't accept those things. It's good to feed the poor. If that's what God told you to do, then it's acceptable. Otherwise, it's just feeding the poor. Okay, wait. Good. So he's now, now he's into Romans 12. And now, so we're going to set aside the, the, the mind, the body, the flesh, pleading the blood. And now we're in Romans 12. And when he says, and God, with God, if that's what God tells you to do, are, is, he now, is he now promoting that God speaks to you outside of the Bible? Okay, I, now, I am, now I am so confused. Now I am so confused. All right, so let me go back to Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your uh, bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that may be proved what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So he is saying that there's not three wills there. There's two wills. There's good and acceptable, and then there's perfect. Or is that, so he's separating good, acceptable, and perfect, but he's, but he's, he's grouping good and acceptable together and perfect as, as something different. So if God, if God doesn't tell you to feed, if God tells you to feed the poor, it's good. But if God doesn't tell you to feed the poor, then it's just acceptable. Or if God tells you to feed the poor, then it's perfect. I, okay. I don't, I, I, I want to dig into that a little further and try to understand that. I, I would, I would be, we, well, we could, we could now, we, we could now, we could dedicate tomorrow to, does Romans 12, 2, does Romans 12, 2 speak of three wills of God, two wills of God, one will of God, 
what, how many wills of God are spoken of in Romans 12 too? Right? That could be tomorrow's sermons two point. And we could look at how many sermons we can find on Romans chapter 12, verse two, and see if people break these into three wills, two wills, one will. That, that's a, that's a, someone write that question down. Because I, I, I'm baffled by that. But the only problem is I can't spend the time on that because this is supposed to be about pleading the blood, which we're supposed to be going to Romans 9. But for some weird reason, we've, or no, to Hebrews 9, but we've taken a detour to Romans 12. And now we've taken a detour to, so maybe we'll get to Hebrews 9 and we'll still figure out what his, his thesis about pleading the blood, because supposedly that's how I guess we can renew our mind and take every thought captive. So I think pleading the blood somehow equates to renewing the mind and taking every thought captive. All right, we're going to keep following. All right, here we go. I don't have time to spend on that, but you can do a lot of good things, ladies and gentlemen, that the Lord never said to you that are acceptable or perfect to Him. I get wore out with, you know, well, I, I do this and this and this and this and this. Good. I talked to a fellow coming back from West Virginia, and he was made a list of a multitude of things that he does in the name of the Lord. And I thought to myself, how can anybody do that many things and all of them be acceptable? I guess you can. I don't know when he had time to sleep because he was telling me all the good works that he was doing. But then after you talk with him for a while, you realize he believes in a works-based salvation meaning that he believes the more he works, it's more assurance of him being saved. And I finally just sat back in the seat right as we were getting ready to land and all that kind of stuff. I said, well, it's been a privilege talking to you and thank you for sharing your faith with me and those kind of things and that kind of stuff. I said, I just thank God from the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin and I'm glad I'm saved by grace through faith. Amen. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I, that would wear me out trying to work myself to heaven, man. I couldn't do it. So when I show you a couple of things here, I want you to understand the mind's the more important part to you, not all the stuff your body does. Don't okay, so now I, I now he's going after kind of a workspace thing. All right, and it's not what your body does; it's what your mind. It's about the mind. All right, I'm still trying to figure out where the blood comes into play, the pleading of the blood. All right, let's. I'm, I'm just going to try to be patient here. I'm just going to be patient. Because I'm trying to figure, I'm really trying to figure this out. I'm trying to map this out in my mind. Let's just be patient and see where this goes. Don't get it backwards. You don't work inward your salvation. You work your salvation outward. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. What am I, I'm saved on the inside, but I'm trying to let that permeate, let it soak outwardly, not come inwardly. All right, Hebrews chapter number 9 Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 11. That the, but Christ being a common high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and uh, by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the, uh, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes and half a sprinkle of unclean sanctifieth and purifieth the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot purge your conscience? And that's what we're talking about from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, when the blood of Jesus Christ comes in, it shows you that those things you did before were dead works because you were lost. So no matter what you were doing, it doesn't matter. Uh, some people like to bring up, come to Matthew chapter... Uh, but doesn't the blood 
here, purge your conscience from dead works because it was the works that condemned you because you saw that your work was insufficient it, when, when, apply, when laid next to the law and the holiness of God. And so you're under condemnation because of those dead works. The blood of Christ purges your conscience because now you're no longer condemned by those dead works because you know you now have the blood of Christ has washed away your sins and you now have the imputed righteousness of Christ. But I still don't know what that has to do with pleading the blood. I, I still don't know what that does. And supposedly this somehow helps. No, this would help your conscience, right? If you want to say, I plead the blood, then you plead the blood when you're overcome with guilt and your sin. And all you mean by that is you're remembering the blood of Christ that was shed for your sins. And by faith, your sins have been forgiven, right? So then I don't even know what the pleading of the blood would be doing. It wouldn't be changing anything because you're already saved. You would just be remembering your salvation. So if you're going to say, I, I plead the blood so that I can remember my salvation so that I'm not overcome with this guilt and, and despair because of my sin, then I guess you could use it that way. But I still would not use the phrase pleading the blood because you don't have to plead for it. It's yours by faith. It's, it's already been applied to you. Your sins have already been washed away. There's nothing. The pleading sounds like you're, you're, Lord, I need it now. It's already there. You just remember it. You confess your sins because of the blood of Christ. So I, so we'll still, we'll see if we get, I still don't know quite the thesis yet. Let's see if he establishes a thesis at some point. 26. Uh, they talk about this uh, lady who went to foreign countries. Her name was uh, Teresa. And uh, I don't mean this to be offensive, but they say Mother Teresa was a great saint. Okay. Well, was she saved? They'll never tell you. They believe she was saved because she helped poor and indigent people. Well, as much as that might be offensive to you, poor and indigent people are not, uh, helping poor and indigent people are not a qualification for salvation. It says the blood of... You say, what is that? It's a dead work. Nothing you did before you were saved counts for anything. Once you're saved, it's the only way that anything you do counts at the judgment seat of Christ. Beyond that, it doesn't count for anything. You've got to get a hold of that. You say, well, but that's religious works. That's people that, you know, go to church and they do all these kind of things, but they're unsaved people. Um, I talked to a fellow just a few weeks ago, and he said he'd been coming to church for about 40 years... And he said he had been going nearly 30 years before anybody ever questioned whether he was saved or not. And I said, well, were you saved? And he said, no, I don't think I was. But he said, I went to church and I was a good moral person, but I never one time had that experience until an old preacher came in here and he said he made me question whether or not I had ever trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior or if I was trusting my religion. And he said he remembered part of the sermon. It was that sermon I gave you the other day. If you want to go to heaven, trust Jesus Christ. And if you want to go to hell, trust anything. Because, you know, one way to hell is as good as another. And he said I kept thinking about that and thinking I'm better than most people and I give to the church and I've been involved in the church and I've been an officer in the church and I've done all these kind of things. Well, I must be saved. Well, you're going to hell like a bullet with a religious veneer. Now, this is a hard truth that people don't like to be faced with. They get upset about it. It's like, well, how could you dare question that? I'm not questioning it. I'm just giving what the Bible says. It's impossible for your sins to be remitted without the blood of Jesus Christ. 
So when we talk about pleading the blood, you have to understand some things about the blood. The blood's the most valuable thing that there is in the Bible. If without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of your sin. That's what he says later on there in Hebrews 9. We'll come back to that after a while. Matthew chapter number 26, look in verse number 28. 26, 28, 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's the... Okay, so it seems like what he's establishing, he wants you to see the significance of the blood before he gets to the pleading. All right, so I guess his outline is tonight we're going to talk about the blood of Christ. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the significance of it. Secondly, we're going to talk about the pleading of it. Now, but please note, all the passages he's went to that has anything to do with the blood, it's about forgiveness of sins. It's about the remission of sins. Remember, I, I, I told everyone to look them all up and see what you find every single time. So if, if any pleading the blood, the only thing I think it could even reference to, and I don't even, the, the, the phrase is not even in the Bible, but if you're going to even try to use it, it's about the blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. It's, we are saved. Our, our, our sins are paid for by his blood. We are purchased and redeemed by his blood. So I, all right. I still want to get to the pleading part. Let, let, well, I'm going to be patient. Let's see where this is going to go. Taking away of sin, that's what the blood of Jesus Christ does. So it's a cleansing effect, but it remits your sins. It means it takes them away as if you never did it at all. The blood is something that's real powerful. It's real strong. Uh, people talk about the most powerful weapon we have is prayer. I believe that. But you come boldly through the, through the blood into the throne room. So without the blood, you couldn't get in the throne room. You're not entitled to go in there. You remember the passage back in Leviticus where it says about the priest, the priest has to go in there and he has to put it on his right toe and he has to put it on his right ear and then he has to come in there and he has to sprinkle the the mercy seat there before he can go in. He's into the holy place and if that blood hadn't been shed and if it's not done the right way, then God will kill him. He's not entitled to go in there. In the Old Testament, you had your sins forgiven, and the priest would forgive him, and then that was put on the scapegoat, and then he would go in through the holy place, and then once time of the year, he'd go into the Holy of Holies and present all that to the Lord, and the priest was the one that made the, the, the uh, atonement there for you in, on your behalf. He became your mediator in a sense. Now, we believe here because we believe the Bible, not because you're a Baptist. We believe here in what's called the priesthood of the believers. That means that you don't have to go through a priest anymore. What that means is, is that you have direct access. You don't have to go through some other mediator. You go right through Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Well, you, now you're at a point, ladies and gentlemen, where no matter what you say anymore, no matter what you uh, have to talk about, you can even just read a passage from the Bible. And one of the things is, is that you might want to turn that up just a little bit, brother, if you can, Brother Roger. Okay, um, <clears throat> if not, Noah's going to have the shakes this morning. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the thing is, is that you're getting to a point nowadays where people want to have what's called vain religion. It's called the way of Cain, the way of Kor, the gainsaying of Cain. What happens is, is that they say, well, this is how I want religion to be, and it makes me comfortable because it lets me be who I want. This has nothing to do with the being. This has to do with the being able to access. Right. Well, you don't get to make the... It's his place. He tells you how you get in up there. 
You got to get a hold of that. You don't get to tell him, I'm, hey, listen, somebody comes to your house and knocks on your door. They're asking for entrance. You have the right to deny him, yes or no. They don't come to your door and say, unless they're a thief or a robber, they don't come to your door and say, I'm coming in your house and you're going to serve me steak and baked potato and some, uh, some green beans and, and uh, I'm having key lime pie for dinner and I want some breakfast roll or dinner rolls there with it and that kind of a thing. And uh, a little bit later, I'll have a little coffee. You know, they don't do that. You slam the door in their face. And if they try to come in, you might meet him with something else. Right. Amen. Amen. Tell them. I. S- oh, okay. Gonna meet him with something else. Okay, I, I'm a, I, mean, I, I don't know what that other thing could be. I mean, you fill in the blanks. I, I, I just want to know. Pl- plead the blood. That, that's all I'm trying to figure out. That's all I'm trying to figure out here. I don't even yet know the hypothesis. I don't even know the, the, the thesis here. I don't, I don't know what his hypothesis is. I don't know what the thesis is here. I don't, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. But let's, we're 52 minutes into this broadcast and we haven't yet figured this out. We're waiting to hear that. I have these other articles I want to get to, but I will want him to get to the thesis where we can go, okay, this is what they mean by plead the blood. We need it specifically defined, clearly outlined. We need to know how you do it, what it does, and what happens if you don't do it. And maybe we should consider the origin of the entire concept and its connection to the word of faith and charismatic movement. But we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're, we're going to be patient. We're going to be patient. We're going to be patient. Give their heart to Jesus because the rest of them belongs to you. Okay, so we have a little joke. Someone comes to your door. You're going to meet them with someone else because you better hope that their heart belongs to Jesus because the rest of them belongs to you. Okay, I, all right. Uh, all right. You, you just deal with that. How does that fit in with love your enemy? I don't know. How does that fit in with turn the other cheek? I don't know. I, I, I never know. Look, uh, we could, we could eat it. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. All right. You just do with whatever you want to do with that. Oh, let's continue. In the name of Jesus, <clears throat> I'm simply, but the attitude is, is that God's going to accept me like I am. No, he won't. God's not like that. God's not moved by peer pressure. God's not moved by manipulation. It it God doesn't sit there and say, are you going to think bad of me? Are you going to be upset with me? God's like, hey, here he is, my son, Jesus Christ. You take him or you don't. If you take him, you come to heaven. That's my entrance. That's the key. That's the one. He's not the key. He's the door. Amen. If you want him, like the old black fellow said, you know, they're down there and uh, back in the years ago and the, they were running through and rioting and different things like that and had a bunch of people from the Catholic Church that went down there and talking to those black deacons and that kind of a thing. And they went and said, you need to come to our church. Our church has the keys. <laughs> she reared back for, he reared back for a second. He said, and Chuck Balls, I don't need them keys. I got the door. Amen. Well, he's got a lot of sense, man. Right. He's got the door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ. Amen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Amen. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to say that apologetically. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but you don't have to apologize. Well, I'm sorry Jesus feels that way. Well, he bought and paid for it. It's his house. He determines how you come in. And in the Old Testament, you came in by... Thousands of animals being slaughtered, blood all over the place, all the time, and one priest going in there, and if he didn't do it exactly right, God would drop him dead on the spot. They'd put a rope around him and yank him back out because they wouldn't dare walk into the presence of God. Oh boy, the rope issue. Okay. 
If you do a little research, I don't have time here. You see, you see how every sermon can turn into 45, I mean, 45 different broadcasts. All right. Way back, this was early, Victory Baptist Church. Something was discussed about the priest and that there was a rope tied around the priest's ankle. And if he offered the, uh, the sacrifice wrong, he dies. And they would drag him out by a rope. And I was like, whoa, everyone slow down. So I had to do a little research. I think Dallas Theological Seminary even produced a paper on this saying that that's not necessarily a biblical concept, that the Bible does not actually say that. They derive it from, I think, that because there was bells on the robe and that they could hear the bells and that the bells, then they knew they were dead and then they pulled them out by a rope. But I think the article went on to say that there is no basis in that and they traced the origin of the concept, but there's nothing, and they they traced it from a sermon, I can't remember where, but they don't believe there's anything in the Bible that clearly articulates that. So, I don't have time to research that right now, but you may want to research that for yourself. You you may find the article somewhere on the internet from the Dallas Theological Seminary. I used to have them printed out. I used to have a bunch of them in our library because someone, inevitably, if we were studying Leviticus or Exodus or Numbers or something, someone would bring that up and I'd be like, just go, hey, someone go back to the library and grab that article. And like, hey, you read this and you can draw your own conclusion. So I hear pastors say that all the time. I don't think that is 100% true. I don't have the article in front of me, so I don't want to be dogmatic because we have not discussed it or even been talked about again in my church in probably 10 years, maybe 15 years. We, uh, we, we're, we're, still, we're still supposed to be working on the tabernacle, so maybe we'll end up discussing it again. But if you, that will be your homework assignment this weekend. Do a search for did the Old Testament priests have a rope tied around his ankle, his leg. That's where if he died, they could pull him out. All right? And, 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 and you may have plenty of articles that say yes, but it's going to be most of those articles, it will be assumed. Find the articles that critique that hypothesis. Test said hypotheses because you may be shocked to go, huh, they may not be true. I was afraid that was getting ready to be brought up. I was afraid of that. So, but I, I can't pursue that either. I cannot pursue that either because we're supposed to be getting to the bleeding, the blood. So we still haven't gotten to exactly what it is, how you do it. We're, we're almost out of time. We didn't even get to the articles I wanted to get to. Uh, oh. Okay, but let's let we we gotta go. We're gonna go over an hour. Well, I've got no choice here. Let, let's 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 just. All I want to do is get to that point, and then we're gonna we're gonna stop, and then you can go listen to the rest of this. And now, because of Calvary and the blood of the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, you can enter in boldly into the throne room. You say, "Why that blood gives you the way, the avenue to go up there." So it's an important thing for you to know and understand. No remission. Acts chapter number 20. Without the shedding of blood. So when you're pleading the blood, you're pleading a number of things. When it comes to your thought process, one of the best things to do is, is don't try to suppress it on your own. You'll go insane. The best thing to do is, is take it right up to the throne room and say, God, could you please do something with this? I'm pleading the blood of Jesus Christ and soak it in the blood of Jesus Christ and get in the habit of doing that. Now, you have a problem with your anger or your bitterness or or unclean thoughts and things like that that come along. 
I'm telling you something may be different than other people. Don't try to suppress it. That passage in Proverbs talks about the, the, the wicked man who likes to hold the stuff down and then roll it around in his mouth, roll it around in his tongue, hold on to it and think about it a while and then he'll swallow it down a little while and then like a cow chews its cud, he'll bring it back up and think about it and think about it and think about it. I don't believe in self-suppression. That self-discipline can often lead to pride. That's in Colossians chapter number 1. It's called will worship. I do all this because I can just will myself to fast and to pray and to, to do the following things and so on and so forth. I don't believe in that stuff. I believe in saying, Lord, you know what I'm thinking and you know what's not right and I'm ashamed I'm thinking it and it's horrible and it's nasty and it's filthy and I don't want to think about it, but I'm not putting it down anymore. Here, take that right there soak it in the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanse it. Okay, now part of that I love. It's not about suppressing it. It's about acknowledging. I agree. But hey, God, here's my thought. Take it and wash it in the blood. That's where I'm a little perplexed. The blood is to cleanse me from all sin. So he's saying you plead the blood. So you have a, a, a bad thought. And I guess now you plead the blood and then Jesus washes away the thought. And then now you never have the thought again. And like, I don't, I don't understand how that works, but before we proceed, Right. Let me just quickly, because I just did a quick Google search. There is a mystical Jewish tradition that the high priest of Israel would enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or temple with a rope tied to his foot. The purpose of the rope, according to the tradition, was to retrieve the high priest's body in case he died in the course of his duties within the Holy of Holies. The law of Moses said that once a year on Yom Kippur, the high priest must bring the blood of sacrifice into the Holy of Holies to atone for his sin and the national sins of the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement. All right, so they go on and talk about it. Then they say all the things that they were supposed to do. Then it says, according to the tradition... Uh, during the last couple of centuries of the temple's existence, gold or scarlet rope was tied to the high priest's foot on the Day of Atonement. Another priest standing in the holy place tended the other end of this rope. If the high priest's sins were not atoned for properly, then God would strike him dead when he entered into the presence of the Shekinah, the glory of God that filled the Holy of Holies. Since access to that part of the temple was strictly forbidden, the priest felt they needed a way to retrieve the body of the high priest if necessary. All right. Um, they go on to say Exodus 28 specifies the bells, all right, were to be worn on the hem of the high priest's garment so of the sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out. The bells provided an audible cue to those outside the tabernacle of the high priest's whereabouts. They could tell when he entered and then exited the holy of holies. According to the rope tradition, the bells also provided the means of knowing if the priest had died. If the jingling stopped, the priest on the other end of the rope would be uh would be uh, alerted to the fact that the priest had ceased moving. There is nothing in scripture that indicates that was the purpose of the bells. An alternative explanation of the rope tradition says that the rope was tied around the priest's foot as a reminder to exit the Holy of Holies. According to this theory, the exquisite beauty of the presence of God was so memorized the high priest that all earthly concerns would fall away. He would be so lost in awe and wonder that he would want to stay in forever in God's presence. The rope served to him a reminder uh, that the real world outside was there and he needed to go back outside. The source of the tradition that the high priest had a rope tied around his ankle comes from and then they name uh, another uh, a number of places. Um, and then they, they name some of where these traditions come from. Most likely there was no rope tied to the high priest's leg. The idea is pure fiction. That took five seconds to find. 
yet it's still being repeated from pulpits across the country. Now, what he's saying there, I now on this part, so I'm, I'm frustrated by some of this because I still don't know what pleading the blood. It seems like pleading the blood means, Lord, I have dirty thoughts. Here you go. And then he cleanses them. Now, what does it mean he cleanses them? Does he cleanse them by, you're forgiven for those dirty thoughts? Or is he saying that he makes the dirty thoughts go away and then I'll never have them again? I need more clarification. Let's see if we get more clarification. And you watch it, it'll disappear. And then it'll maybe not long later on, it'll pop back in again. All right, so it'll disappear, but not long it could come back. So then does the blood only make it go away temporarily? So if I have a dirty thought, say Friday night, 11.30 p.m., if I say, uh, I, I, I plead the blood or here, Lord, I have these dirty thoughts. It will go away until maybe Saturday at 11.30 p.m. Or maybe maybe, it, maybe it'll get me till Sunday at 11.30 p.m. Maybe till Monday. So it, the blood is only good enough to, clean, to make the thought go away temporarily. Doesn't that call into question the power of the blood? If the blood really has the power to cleanse it for good... That sounds like it doesn't really have the power to make it go. I'm so confused. Let's see if he offers more explanation. We'll get in the habit of doing that. It'll, get to, it'll quit popping up so much unless you keep feeding it. You can't ask it to go away if you keep putting the wrong stuff in your eyes. Okay, so if you keep doing it, it will, it will go away. But it won't go away if you keep feeding. That. So if you keep looking at it, so then would it be the blood making it go away or would it be just the fact that I stopped feeding it? I, it doesn't sound like the blood has really that much power in this particular situation. It could come back. In fact, it will keep coming back if I keep feeding my eyes. So really, it's not the power of the blood. It's my power in deciding whether I'm going to feed my eyes or not feed my eyes. I don't mean to be harsh with you, ladies and gentlemen, but people tell me, well, preacher, I plead the blood. Okay, we need to unplug the box, too. (laughs) You're seeing the wrong stuff. You can't keep seeing that stuff and then expect the blood to take care of it. It's kind of like you're putting all that in, putting all that in, putting all that in. The Lord's like, well, you must want it in there. You keep asking me to soak the memory, but you keep putting fresh stuff in there. So clearly, he just said the blood can't fix it. The blood can't fix it. I have to fix it. So the blood really has no power. You can plead the blood and plead the blood, but unless you unplug the box. So now, and then of course the issue is it's the external. He's yet to say it's the internal. So he seems to say that the internal is not the problem. It's the external. It's the external stuff that I feed my mind. But Jesus said it is from the heart that comes lust and adultery and covetousness and murder. It's from the heart. It's not what comes in. It's what's already, what's already in is corrupt. It's not garbage in, garbage out. It's garbage in. Therefore, garbage is coming out. But this seems to make an argument that pleading the blood really is not of any great value at all. It doesn't really even do anything. That's, that's, I wish you'd understand some of this. I don't mean to be too technical with you, but what that does, that instant gratification stuff with that computer mess, that creates a dopamine in your brain. That's just a fancy name for endorphins that get released that make you feel good in your brain. And it actually remaps your brain. You don't take my word for it. Go do your own study on it. You're going to get your nose off the box for a little while and use the brain God gave you a little bit. 
The devil knows exactly what he's doing by rewiring. Re, that's why you give these kids this stuff so soon, they think, well, I, I, this way. I don't like that, I change it. I don't like that, I change it. I don't like that, I change it. I change it, I change it. I change it. In a matter of milliseconds, man, they get that like that. You know what happened? They rewire their brain. Then you wonder why they're wigged out by the time they're six and seven years old and have to have dope to keep them quiet and all that kind of... Because they think this is how the world is. <laughs> well, I got news for you. The world don't work like that. Okay, so it sounds like the internet, social media... Clearly, he's referring to pornography is more powerful than the blood of Christ. And I can plead the blood, but the blood can't do it. I have to do it. So then I have to make a conscious disciplined decision that I'm not going to do this and not going to do this. And then I can plead the blood. The blood may come in and offer a little bit of support. But really, it's my own discipline to stop doing it. And if I could stop doing it, but that does not even to take into account the internal desire that is there because of the fleshly nature. So this does nothing to do about how to handle the fleshly nature. This doesn't do, he, he talked about the engine. He's, he's completely ignored the engine of the sinful nature. Now, maybe, I don't, I, I, I don't, maybe, I, I, I don't think they're semi-Pelagian. Maybe they're Pelagian. I don't know. They don't believe in a sinful nature. I don't know. Or at least mine don't. I don't get anything like that. I can even get ready to go to Walmart, God help me. I can even get ready to go to, to, to Walmart or one of the other places. I still have to get in the car and I have to go there and then I have to go in and if it's Walmart, I'm going to be there for half a day before I can get back out. Or you could just use that phone, pull up the Walmart app. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Boom. And it will be delivered to your door you could save yourself a whole lot of time. All right, but I digress. And I go in and I buy what it is, or pick up what I want. I hadn't bought it yet. And then I come out to the door and, and I'm standing there waiting to check out. And then I check out and then I go to the car. It takes time. You don't just, even if you order it online, you don't get it like that. You got to wait for it to be delivered. Now they're figuring out, well, people want it right away. They want it right away. So you know, dispatch a drone, you know that kind of thing, because they've learned that people want instant gratification. That's why you pull up to this thing and it says a number one. You can't give them your order anymore. They want to go ahead and condense it down, punch in number one, let the computer do the work. Have you ever gone up to somebody at the restaurants anymore or gone anywhere else and you hand them? I handed a lady, she, she was shocked the other day. I went out to Home Depot and I had to pick up some screen stuff and all that kind of deal and, and I come through the cash register. Okay, I'm going to stop there because now I don't know where it's going, but that maybe that will motivate you to go listen to it. So what we've learned is pleading the blood seems to be a biblical concept. But after all of that time, what we are being told up to this point really doesn't do anything. Now, I'm going to make the argument and I'm just going to briefly, I, I don't have time to get into this. Uh, we also find out the whole rope thing that was once again brought up that's Never brought, uh, that's always brought up, but this is from Kenneth Hagen Ministries. I mean, right there in the middle of the Word of Faith movement, right? Right there, okay? It says, if you grew up in the Pentecostal circles as I did, chances you heard the phrase or the term, I plead the blood. However, some people in the church uh, world today don't understand the phrase and ask, what does it mean? Please note, 
If you grow up, grew up in Pentecostal circles, pleading the blood is a Pentecostal charismatic concept. The concept of pleading the blood of Jesus has its roots in the Pentecostal tradition, which is what I originally said. It's a tradition that is necessary and important to continue upholding. According to Pentecostal charismatic theology, we need to continue this tradition. And I will say we must be done with it because it has nothing to do with a biblical understanding. The book, The Azusa Street Mission and Revival, contains stories where people came to receive prayer for healing. William Seymour a leader in the Azusa Street Revival would plead the blood over the sick. It's traced back to the Azusa Street Revival. I would argue you probably find it even before the Azusa Street Revival. I don't think it probably just appeared right there, but I I bet you it's in that camp. I bet you wherever it shows up, it's going to be in some camp that is contrary to what I believe is biblical Christianity. And I think those within biblical Christianity took the concept and in many cases, they still use it very much like a charismatic would, almost like... I plead the blood, and so now you get power, and now you make this go away, and you make this go away. But even here, where you supposedly take your thoughts and make it go away, it only does it for a few minutes, maybe a few days, and then it comes right back. And then you keep pleading the blood, and it comes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes. But ultimately, it's powerless to stop you. <laughs> so if... So I, I don't even understand. If the, if the power of blood is that useless, what's the point? I don't even get it. I don't even understand. I don't even understand the concept. But there, that, that was my sermon for today. Now, we listened to a good portion of it. There's only like 20 minutes of it. I'm assuming probably about 15 minutes of it left because usually the last five minutes will be kind of summarized in prayer. So it's probably maybe just a few minutes left. I would challenge you to go listen to the rest, plead the blood, from Bible Believers Baptist Church, Bible Believers Baptist Church, go listen to the rest and see where that fits in with your day of researching and studying, pleading the blood. All right. I I, I know we went 73 minutes, uh, but there you go. Nobody has downloaded it yet. So go download it. Go download it right now. Go download it. Then you can fast forward to like the last 20, 25 minutes where you start hearing this new illustration he's using. He just left Walmart. Now I think he's like Home Depot. And so, um, well, you can figure all of that out and I'm going to stop. 73 minutes. And it's 127 degrees here in the studio. There you go. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just as perplexed by this as when I started. Maybe you found some clarification today. I haven't. I haven't. I'm still trying to figure it out. Let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. If you've been participating in the Sermons 2.0 app challenge, thank you so much for doing so. Keep participating. Stick with it. Let's make it to the end of 2024 with a notebook filled with all the sermons that we have listened to and all the very interesting concepts and theological. In some ways, this is a lot of fun because each day, I don't know where we're going to end up. Like we kind of start the day and then we don't know where we're going to end up, right? I mean, other things may happen that we have to talk about, but it's like, this is like, okay, guys, here we go. Oh, wow. We end up here. We end up here. We, we don't know where we're going to end up. So that's a little bit of fun to it. 
So I don't know if I can find a way to structure it a little bit better, but I'm liking the concept. And then you, now you have a new sermon to go listen to. Again, plead the blood. I guess it's, maybe it's on a, uh, a, a, is it a part of a series? Yeah, it's on a series on prayer. There's 23 sermons in the, in the series, ser, uh, 23 sermons in the series. And it's called Plead the Blood, part of a series on prayer, Bible Believers Baptist Church. And it was June 7th, 2015. All right. Go download it now. No one yet has. I'm watching. I'm keeping up with what you're doing. I, I literally have the statistics right here in front of me. All right. But go download it and go listen to the rest. All right. Thank you. I, I, I don't know what to say there. I, I, I don't feel like we ever really got to where we need to go and what, where we did get. It, it really calls into question the entire concept. It really does. But okay. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.